0: Here it is!
1: From deep inside your audio device of choice. Ladies and gentlemen, there's good news. Somebody has finally figured out... After... What? 17, 18, 19... Who's counting years? How to end America's longest war. You know, it's, it's been a head-scratcher. But this week in Kabul... The U.S. Special Envoy for Peace in Afghanistan wound up the seventh round of talks he's been holding with the Taliban. Actually, he's been holding the talks in Qatar after signs of progress in efforts to end America's longest war. That's according to Reuters. The U.S. Envoy, Zalmay Khalilzad, he's been involved in that really since the top. He was there at the beginning I guess he hopes to be there at the end. He met Taliban officials briefly a day after a delegation of Afghan citizens and the Taliban agreed on a roadmap for peace. Why didn't they just call Rand McNally or Google? Particularly included in the roadmap is a joint call to end civilian casualties. Is that all it took? Really? (laughs) Khalil Sad will now brief his bosses and they will make an announcement the seventh round has ended. That's a quote, a really uh, informative quote from a senior official who is privy to the talks, which were not held in a privy, as far as I know. The United States and the Taliban are getting closer to a deal. The uh, premise of the deal is the U.S. will promise to withdraw troops from Afghanistan, and the Taliban will promise not to let Afghanistan be used as a base for terrorism. Why didn't I think of that? Why didn't you? Last week, uh, Khalilzad said the latest round of talks, which began at the end of June, was the most productive since the effort began late last year. With progress on those two points, as well as dialogue between rival Afghans and the possibility of a ceasefire. A ceasefire? That's a good way to end a war. Man, the innovation just doesn't stop when you're Hello, Welcome to the Show.
2: A little taste might hit the spot A little taste might help a lot May be nice and maybe not in my condition this is a risky proposition a little taste might pave the way it has been known to save the day one little taste might be okay It's a sedation good for a sticky situation Why not spare myself a little pain? It wouldn't hurt. And why lock my appetite out in the rain without a shirt? And who said self denial's all that great? It wasn't me, because I found it often pays to dissipate. One little taste could make a whole lot of difference. Thank you. A little taste might break the ice And make the nasty seem like nice One little taste just once or twice It's an enhancer One little taste could be the answer And so it shouldn't be a total waste I have a little taste, put it on her tab.
1: From Santa Monica, California, the home of the homeless, yes, I'm sheltering in place, but in another place. I'm Harry Shearer, welcoming you to this edition of The Show. And now, what's up with the bees? Well, timing is everything in comedy and in the environment, in the world of the bees. There's research that demonstrates that early snowmelt results in the spring ephemeral plant Corydalis ambigua (laughs) flowering ahead of the emergence of its pollinator, The, the bumblebee, the humble bumblebee. Global warming has affected the phenology, thank you, of diverse organisms such as the timing of plant flowering and leafing, animal hibernation and migration, particularly so in cold ecosystems, increasing the risk of disturbing mutual relationships between living organisms, you know, like plants and bees, or like, um, vendors and, um, uh, Retailers. It could also affect the relationship between plants and insects that carry pollen. Few studies have been conducted on this subject, and it remains largely unknown according to Relique Alert. But these researchers examined Corydalis ambigua, growing in cold temperature forests in Hokkaido in northern Japan, and bumblebees, which collect nectar or connect lectors from the flowers. Usually the bloom of the flowers and the emergence of the bumblebees are in sync. But, you know, InSync was a boy band of the 90s. They monitored the plant and insect for 19 years in a natural forest on Hokkaido, recording the timing of snowmelt, flowering, and emergence of bumblebees, as well as the rate of seed setting. <laughs> That's what they call it when plants do it. In this way, they were able to observe how the snowmelt timing and ambient temperatures affect each other and themselves. Long-term monitoring revealed that snow melt timing dictates when the flowers or the plants produce flowers. The earlier the snow melt, the earlier the flowering. Researchers also found that bumblebees, which hibernate underground during winter, don't be digging, become active when soil temperatures reach 43 degrees Fahrenheit. Now, but, when the snow melt is early, flowering tends to occur before the bees emerge. This creates a mismatch in timing. The wider the mismatch, the lower the rate of seed setting Pardon me, due to insufficient pollination. Story of the bees, ladies and gentlemen. And now, News of Dominion. what I said. The most extensive and systematic insect monitoring program ever taken in North America. Wouldn't you want to be a part of that? Shows that butterfly abundance in Ohio declined yearly by 2%. That resulted in an overall 33% drop for the 21 years of the program. It's reported by Oregon State University. Though the study was limited to one group of the insect class in one geographic area, the findings provide an important baseline for what's happening more broadly with insect populations amid climate change and other human-caused disturbances, according to the study's author. The findings also are in line with those of butterfly monitoring programs in multiple European countries. Well, those European butterflies, come on. They don't love freedom the way the American... These declines in abundance are happening in common species, says Oregon State University researcher Tyson Weprich. He led the study. Declines in common species concern me because it shows there are widespread environmental causes for the declines affecting species we thought were well adapted to share a landscape with humans. (laughs) Yeah. Common species are also the ones that contribute the bulk of the pollination or bird food to the ecosystem, so their slow, consistent decline... Is like having ripple effects beyond butterfly numbers, or just ripple. Findings were published this week in PLOS One, not KLOS. Wiprick is a postdoctoral scholar in botany and plant pathology at Oregon State, used more than 24,000 butterfly surveys, Contributed by trained citizen scientists from 1996 through 2016 to establish his findings. He says it's easier to monitor butterflies than other insects because lots of people like butterflies. Come on. Don't you like aphids? Or roaches? (laughs) And enjoy keeping track of them he says. Butterflies tend to be the best source of abundance data for tracking insect population declines and increases. Environmental assessments use them as an indicator for the general trajectory of biodiversity because they experience the same types of pressure from land use changes, climate change, and habitat degradation as other insect groups. But they're pretty. Or should I say they were? Until they got hit by Dominion. Now, news of our friend the Atom. Clean, safe, to cheap to meet her. Save, to
3: cheap to meet her. Save, safe, safe to meet her. Save, safe to meet her.
1: Well, people who've been listening to this program for way too long know what Hanford is. The Hanford nuclear reservation in Washington. No reservations taken. It's um the place where we made plutonium bombs during the Cold War. And it warmed up and we go, we got these bombs, we got this plutonium. Now a new report warns that a huge facility at Hanford is, it's in Washington State, by the way, it's at risk of releasing radioactive contamination into the environment, the longer it remains standing. Well, you know what? Tell it to sit the F down. The plutonium-uranium extraction plant was built in 1956 when the new they built things good. It's heavily contaminated after being used to help produce plutonium for the nation's nuclear weapons program. Who, who thought that would... The Tri-City Herald in Richland, Washington, reports that a final decision on how to clean up and tear down the plant... That won't be coming until 2032. So uh, get your radiation suits now. The Department of Energy conducted a new evaluation of what to do in the meantime. You know, the good old meantime. It concluded the best option is to spend about $218 million to remove hazards. Where are they going to put them? <laughs> really? prepare the main processing building for demolition, and demolish two attached annexes. So if you, if you want to get that uh, hazardous material in your neighborhood, you know who to call. Meanwhile, Dateline Kiev, Ukraine, a structure built to confine radioactive dust from the nuclear reactor at the center of the Chernobyl disaster that occurred in 1986. That structure was formally unveiled this week. I I wasn't even notified of the veiling ceremony, but the unveiling happened this past week. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky, formerly a comedian, (laughs) inaugurated the new safe confinement shelter that spans the remains of Chernobyl nuclear reactor number four. Number four. That enclosure cost almost a billion and a... No, cost more than a billion and a half to build. That's U.S. dollars. And the project took nine years to complete. And the whole project cost about $2.5 billion. I don't know what besides the enclosure added to the cost. Maybe the neon sign. Officials have described the reactor enclosure as the largest movable land-based structure ever built. It has a span of 843 feet and a total weight of over 40,000 tons. So movable, you know... It's a term of art. 40,000 tons. That's a lot of mules. Reactor number four exploded and burned in 1986 at the end of April. The disaster's eventual death toll, well, still subject to speculation and dispute, Can't count the bodies. I don't know why. The World Health Organization's Cancer Research Arm estimates 9,000 people will die of exposure related cancer and leukemia if Chernobyl's health effects follow a similar pattern to Hiroshima and Nagasaki. 350,000 people were evacuated from the area. 600,000 had exposure to elevated levels of radiation while fighting the fire or working to clean up the contamination. That's called your reward the new confinement structure was designed to keep radioactive dust from moving and as a safeguard from further crumbling further crumbling of the reactor it's done some crumbling on its own but the dust excuse me the thing burned on in in april of 1986 now they're going to keep the dust from moving hasn't the dust over A section of the machine hall collapsed in 2012. The deputy project manager, who's been part of construction and repairs at Chernobyl since way back in 1987, says he's filled with pride, which is a sin, that he got to work on a job that, quote, has such a big importance for all humankind. He did express concern in an interview that war-torn Ukraine might struggle to cover the maintenance costs for the reactor enclosure. He noted that costly and complicated work, such as dismantling unstable sections of the power plant, that work still needs to be done. This is like when the Army Corps of Engineers built the new, improved hurricane risk reduction system in New Orleans, the one that they say now will stop working as early as 2023. They turn it over to the local levy authority and say, you maintain it. You pay for that. But back to Ukraine, he says, does Zelizetsky? It looks like Ukraine will be left alone to deal with this structure. The work is not yet done, and we need to think about how to finance this project in the future. Unquote. Well, that's why God made GoFundMe. Now, to finance the original containment structure, the one that's going to keep that dust from spreading, the European Bank for Reconstruction managed a fund with contributions from 45 countries, from the European Union and the bank's own resources. Ukraine contributed about 112 million, but you know, they don't got that no more. According to South Korea's nuclear power regulator, a nuclear rea- nuclear reactor whose thermal output exceeded safety limits kept running for nearly 12 hours when it should have been shut down manually at once. That is to say, once a year. Furthermore, the regulator said an individual who wasn't licensed to operate the reactor was holding the control rods, which regulate the reactor's output at the time. A continuing increase in output, or outcrease in input, could have led to a thermal runaway, potentially causing the reactor to explode. That's all. The nuclear regulator regulator called the Nuclear Safety and Security Commission, (NSCSC), has assigned special judicial police officers to the case, could Korea Hydro and Nuclear Power, the public company that operates the country's nuclear reactors, is likely to be slapped with administrative measures, may be held criminally liable as well. Well, that happens in this country. Experts in nuclear power equipment describe this as an extremely dangerous situation that could easily have led to a thermal runaway. We have a lot of those on the Sunset Strip. That's No, that's an event that can cause violent blowouts of reactor contents and catalysts. Quote, this incident was not a technical disagreement between experts or a mistake by the operator. It was a crime, unquote, quoting an industry insider who spoke on condition of anonymity. So it's an anonymous quote, anonymous quote. Quote, this was an incident that almost caused a thermal runaway under low output conditions. The rapid increase of output from zero is the exact principle used in a nuclear weapon, said the director of the Research Institute for Safe Nuclear Power. The public company, KHNP, Korea Hydro and Nuclear, took a terrifying risk in not shutting down the reactor at once. Since this could well have led to a serious accident, it needs to be thoroughly investigated says a professor at Matsuyama University in Japan. The uh, nuclear regulator said that this reactor is currently being kept safe, currently, and that there was no leak of radioactivity either inside or outside the facility. For two months through July 20th, the uh, regulator plans to inspect not only the reactor's equipment, but also the company's safety culture whether they're uh, seeing performances of Carmen to keep the plants safe. Since the thermal output rose so suddenly, we'll also have to check the integrity of the nuclear fuel after thoroughly ensuring that the rods and nuclear fuel are both safe. We'll take action related to nuclear power legislation, said an official from the regulator. Nothing to see here. Just could have been a crime, that's all. But, you know, crimes happen every day. Asked Jeffrey Epstein... Clean, cheap, safe. Too repetitive to meet her. Our friend the atom. Catching up on uh, <laughs> President Trump's speech uh, at the Lincoln Memorial on the 4th of July, he did pay tribute to the 50th anniversary of the Apollo 11 landing on the moon and then said this.
2: I want you to know that we're going to Be back on the moon very soon, and someday soon, we will plant the American flag on Mars. It's happening, Gene. It's happening.
1: It's happening? Who could have said that?
2: It could have been somebody who was uh, loose and stupid. Well, come on, let's go for a trip. That'll be a real gag. i some class.
1: Ladies and gentlemen. News of the warm. Reason enough to be thinking about Mars.
0: Soft, listen to the warm we can listen to the warm
1: Mars isn't warming, is it? Not really. But here's some good news coral reefs which we thought were in danger because of warming. Apparently, they're, they know where to go. Or the corals do. Coral reefs are retreating from equatorial waters and establishing new reefs, that is, the corals are, in more temperate regions. This is according to new research in the journal Marine Ecology Progress. <laughs> Progress. The researchers found that the number of young corals... Hanging on the cor- oh no, on tropical reefs has declined by eighty-five percent and doubled on subtropical reefs during the last four decades. Quote, Climate change seems to be redistributing coral reefs, the same way it is shifting many other marine species, but not the marines. This, according to Nicole Price, a uh, research scientist at Bigelow Laboratory for Ocean Scientists, lead author of the paper, the clarity in this trend is stunning easily stunned. But we no, it's a, We don't yet know whether the new reefs can support the incredible diversity of tropical systems, she says. As climate change warms the ocean, you've heard about that, right? Subtropical environments are becoming more favorable for corals than the equatorial waters where they traditionally thrived. This allows drifting coral larvae to settle and grow in new regions. These subtropical reefs could provide refuge for the other species challenged by climate change, new opportunities to protect these fledgling ecosystems. But who knows? Researchers believe only certain types of coral are able to reach these new locations based on how far the larvae can swim and drift on currents before they run out of their limited fat stores. Why didn't I think of that? Fat stores, come on! That's a startup. That's a unicorn. The exact competition of most new reefs is currently unknown due to the expense of collecting genetic and species diversity data. We're seeing ecosystems transition to new blends of species that have never coexisted, and it's not yet clear how long it takes for these systems to reach equilibrium, says the author of the study. The lines are really starting to blur about what a native species is and when ecosystems are functioning or falling apart. New coral reefs grow, you see, when larvae settle on suitable seafloor away from the reef where they originated. Research team examined latitudes up to 35 degrees north and south of the equator, found that the shift of coral reefs is perfectly mirrored on either side. Why, that's... The paper assesses where and when refugee corals could settle in the future potentially bringing new resources and opportunities such as fishing and tourism. Don't forget about tourism. Everything a computer, tablet, or smartphone does requires electricity. You've thought of that, right? And to generate that electricity, the world still predominantly uses fossil fuels, which produce carbon dioxide. Digital technologies have now surpassed the aerospace industry in terms of carbon emissions, according to Deutsche Welle, a uh, German broadcaster. While aviation's share of global CO2 emissions is estimated to be around 2.5% and rising, nearly 4% of all CO2 emissions can now be attributed to global data transfer and the necessary infrastructure, according to a recent study by Paris-based think tank The Shift Project. No, they don't all wear shifts. They are an NGO, and they're researching ways to redesign the world's economy to run on renewable energy. The calculations include both the energy costs of creating IT infrastructure and the actual use of that infrastructure. That, the latter, consumes 10 percentage points more electricity than the production of all equipment and technology combined. By 2022, according to Cisco and his kid, around 60% of the world's population will be online, video making up more than 80% of all internet traffic. The author of the study says we urgently need to reconsider the future of internet use and think about cutting back. (laughs) We, 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 We can't see YouTube stars? We have limited energy resources, he said. Pointing out that even if we make the shift to renewables right now, which is not happening. The Internet is a worldwide thing, so it would require every country in the world to be powered by renewable energy. He says that goal remains impossible in such a short time, meaning we can't let Internet usage grow as rapidly as it has to this point. But, of course, major Internet companies want usage to grow since they can sell ads against it. The largest share of internet growth is now video. 80% of all data transferred online is video data.
2: More data! More data! We need more data! Come on! More data! More data! Huh? Get some data for me! More data! More data! More data! We need more!
1: More! 60% of that being online video. Streaming videos stored on a server and reviewed, reviewed remotely like Netflix, YouTube, or Vimeo. The problem transferring videos online is data intensive. In 2018. That was just last year. Online video traffic was responsible for more than 300 million tons of CO2, equivalent to what a country the size of Spain releases in a year. We're all Spain. Now, the higher a video's resolution, the more data that's required. Ten hours of high-definition film consumes more bits and bytes than all the ling- English-language articles in Wikipedia put together, according to the Shift Project. But really, would you rather read Wikipedia or watch Men in Black 4? Oh, and a new study published in the journal Science Advances by a Ph.D. candidate at Columbia concludes glaciers in the Himalaya melted twice as quickly from 2000 to 16 as they did from 1975 to 2000. He says, this is the clearest picture yet of how fast Himalayan, Himalayan glaciers are melting over this time interval and why. A professor at the University of Utrecht's Department of Geosciences. Walter Imazil told Glacier Hub that the novelty lies in the fact they go back to 1975. He said scientists already knew quite well what the mass balance rates were for the last 20 years or so, but looking back over a wider area provided interesting new information. The new study makes a major contribution by indicating that regional warming is responsible for the increase in melting. So it's not just Greenland and Antarctica anymore. It's the Himalayas, too. News of the Warm, ladies and gentlemen. It's a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. So, this week, thanks to reporting late last year in the Miami Herald, the uh, acknowledgement was even made by attorneys in the Department of Justice as they announced... New charges, new federal charges being filed against Jeffrey Epstein, supposedly a uh, billionaire hedge fund manager, although all the details of that description, including billionaire and hedge fund manager, are, according to the New York Times and other publications, sort of um, immersed in mystery. We don't really know who his clients were, we don't really know where all that investment money supposedly came from. He um, he did manage to finance a very lavish lifestyle, including one of, if not the most, valuable pieces of um, residential property in Manhattan on the Upper East Side. Uh, a private island off the coast of um, St. John's in the Virgin Islands, One or two private jets. You know, the thing. The lifestyle. So, somehow he financed that. And somehow he was able to entice, through his charm, celebrities, British royals, American, well, two American presidents, to um, be his pals, as he flitted about, according to the indictments, released this week, inducing underage girls to give him massages that eventually turned into sexual activity, and then having they, having them recruit other girls to do similar stuff. Like, it was a thing. It was a a sexual Ponzi scheme, is one definition of it. One one of his attorneys that uh, helped negotiate A sweetheart deal when charges were first filed against him more than a dozen years ago in Florida was Alan Dershowitz, who was also alleged to be part of the ring of patrons of the services of the young female masseuses. Other people who were ensnared in Epstein's ring of acquaintances include former President Bill Clinton and current president, <laughs> president Donald Trump, who said to New York Magazine in the early two thousands, "He um, Jeffrey's a guy who really enjoys, lo- really enjoys women, especially the younger kind. He he's a lot of fun. He's a terrific guy." Now, of course, Trump uh, says, "Was never a fan." You know by now that uh, Alex Acosta, who was Trump's labor secretary, was forced to resign at the end of the week after he held a press conference on Wednesday trying to defend that sweetheart deal. He, as federal prosecutor in Miami, negotiated with Epstein's superstar lawyers, not only Alan Dershowitz, but also Ken Starr. The name of Epstein's jet in the circles in which he traveled was the Lolita Express. Used to head
3: a hedge fund Used to getting my way When I needed anything It was child's play to pay Politicians flock to money Like pathetic moths to a flame So sharing lots of goodies Became part of my game Did I get favors in return? I invite you to guess Paybacks for trips aboard the Lolita Express, the Lolita Express, the Lolita Express. Guess you could say I had a wandering eye. Other parts of me wandered too. I'm not gonna lie. Jeffrey helped my foundation That surely earned him some smiles Bringing relief to beleaguered Caribbean Isles So I dropped in on his own island Relieving my stress Lending my gravitas to the The Lolita Express The Lolita Express My show was the biggest hit ever on NBC Jeff and I were the big shots At the top of the tree He liked his women, and boy, did he like them young. Me, I always dug action, with no shortage of hung. So his island became my occasional address. But I never knew the guy or the so-called Lolita Express. The Whatever Express The Whatever Express Believe me I'm Ken Starr, I screwed up at Baylor Now I'm a lawyer for hire I keep the fat from going Into the fire Tried to bring down Bill Then I helped save his ass And let Don retain a hint of His touch of class Got Jeff work release Almost no jail for this mess And as a man of faith I never got near the Lolita Express, the Lolita Express. Life is a bitch, but it's not so bad. Still got the island and the Upper East Side pad. Still hang with the royals And celebrities galore Though they don't want to be photographed With me anymore I've still got my looks Hey, I undress to impress No way I'm selling my Lolita Express Lolita Express That Lolita Express We all have our grudges Most of us have never been judges When it comes to attention More is less You could have fooled me so please spread the word Forget you ever heard about The Lolita Express The Lolita Express I just want to say one word to you
1: mm-hmm.
0: Just one word
1: Okay Yes sir are you listening? Yes, I am. I am too. Microelastics. Okay. Think about it. Will you think about it? Yes, I will. Enough said. I'm thinking about it, too. Basically, in life, the rule of thumb is if you don't have absolutely to clean anything, don't clean it. That's from Stella McCartney. Yes, daughter of Paul. She said this in an interview with the British newspaper The Observer. She said she picked up the tip while working for Taylor's on London's prestigious Savile Row. She says the rule is to let the dirt dry and you brush it off. That's lightweight dirt, isn't it? Something about this line stuck with readers, according to BBC, many of whom have been doing a lot of laundry every week. This isn't the first time McCartney has recommended not washing clothes. In fact, she's long advocated avoiding the washing machine, both for the longevity of the garments, also because of the impact washing them has on the environment. Laura Diaz Sanchez from an advocacy group called Plastic Soup Foundation. Mm. Laura agrees with this particularly when it comes to everyday clothes which may contain more synthetic materials such as your polyester and your acrylic. How about that polyester leisure suit your dad used to wear? She says every time we wash our clothes an average of 9 million plastic microfibers are released into the environment. Really? The way we wash our clothes affects this, she says, as well as the way our clothes are made. But the more we wash our clothes, the more microfibers are released, In any case, she recommends when you do wash, setting the machine to a lower temperature and using liquid detergent because powder detergent creates more friction between the clothes during washing. So more fibers are released, whereas liquid is smoother. Well, that's three words to live by. The less friction there is in general, she says, the more, the fewer, not the more, the fewer fibers are released. She advises against overloading washing machines for the same reason fewer clothes in the drum means less friction. Uh, Stella McCartney, ladies and gentlemen. No word from any of uh, John's children. Dust from car brakes and tires will still pollute city air even when the vehicle fleet has gone all-electric. A new report has warned, Fragments of microplastics from tires, road surfaces, and brakes will still flow into rivers and ultimately into the sea, according to government advisers in Britain who say they want to pass standards to improve tires and brakes. Critics say they need to go further by developing policies to lure people out of private cars. Now, Speaking as a driver at one time or another of an electric car, I can tell you electric cars do regenerative braking. So the minute you take your foot off the accelerator, the car starts slowing down without the need for you to hit the brake. But there's still the tires rubbing up against the uh, pavement. I don't know what to do about that. But what am I, an expert? And humans eat and breathe in tens of thousands of microplastic particles every year. This is according to a new analysis that raises fresh questions over how plastic waste could directly impact our health. A little late. Microplastics are among, among the most ubiquitous materials on the planet. Aside from memes, they've been found on some of the world's highest glaciers at the bottom of the deepest o- ocean trenches. And in between... Several previous studies have shown how microplastics may enter the human food chain. This is from Japan News. Canadian scientists analyzed hundreds of data sets on microplastic contamination, comparing them to the typical diet and consumption habits of Americans. Well, why, didn't they choose, why didn't they pick on the diet habits of Canadians? Too much moose in the diet? They found an adult male could expect to ingest up to 52,000 microplastic particles each year. Yeah, there's your macho right there. Taking into account the pollution we breathe in, that figure rose to 121,000 particles a year, 320 particles and more every day. An additional 90,000 particles could be ingested each year if an individual only drank bottled water. Again, here we go, no distinction between spring water and bottled tap water authors stressed their figures were estimates they added the impact on human health of microplastic consumption still not well understood but the microplastic particles smaller than 130 micrometers in diameter quote have the potential to translocate into human tissues and trigger a localized immune response say the authors Alistair Grant at the University of East Anglia says there's no evidence that plastic particles in the study pose any significant danger to human health. He was not involved in the research. Says it's likely only a small percentage of particles inhaled actually reach the lungs. One of the two sources for particle concentrations in air says the observed fibers are too large to be inhaled. So the numbers of particles that actually reach our lungs will be much smaller. The authors... On the other hand, said more research was needed to better understand how many microparticles reach the lungs. Let's ask the lungs. That's what I say. But don't ask me. One word, ladies and gentlemen, microplastics. And now, the apologies of the week.
0: We're so sorry.
1: Rupert Murdoch's Nice Group newspapers has agreed to pay Heather Mills, former wife of the aforementioned Paul McCartney and her sister, a substantial settlement. This uh, rise arose over claims stemming from a decade-old phone hacking scandal. Remember that? Ask your dad. Mills... A philanthropist said in a statement outside the High Court in London that she and her sister Fiona were the victims of a targeted smear campaign that included hacking, invasion of privacy and the publication of countless falsehoods and lies. In 2011, British tabloid News of the World apologized for hacking the voicemails of celebrities. Parent company Corp later shut down News of the World amid investigations by the Parliament and the police. Most phone hacking cases involved News of the World, but other UK newspapers have also settled cases. In a court statement, the sisters said they'd experienced strange activity with their telephones between 1998 and 2008. News Group Newspapers, the division of nice Corp, didn't disclose the amount of the settlement, but described it as substantial. As part of the settlement, the company didn't admit liability, The defendant is here today through me to offer its sincere apologies to Miss Heather Mills and Miss Fiona Mills for the distress caused to them
0: by the invasion
1: of their privacy by individuals working for on behalf of News of the World, said an attorney for Nice Corps. The defendants accept that such activity should never have taken place and it had no right to intrude into the private lives of Miss Mills or Mrs. Mills in this way. A Florida high school principal has apologized after telling a parent he couldn't call the Holocaust a, quote, factual, historical event. It's a high school principal, ladies and gentlemen. Spanish River Community High School principal William Latson reportedly made the comments to a parent who was concerned about Holocaust education at the school. He told the parent that, quote, not everyone believes the Holocaust happened, that according to the Palm Beach Post, which published copies of the emails between Latson and the parent that were obtained through a public records request. The principal continued, You have your thoughts, but we're a public school, and not all of our parents have the same beliefs. He added he cannot say the Holocaust is a, quote, factual historical event because I'm not in a position to do so as a school district employee. Now he apologizes for his remarks. I regret that the verbiage I used when responding to an email message from a parent did not accurately reflect my professional and personal commitment to educating all students about the atrocities of the Holocaust. It is critical that as a society we hold dear the memory of the victims and hold fast to our commitment to counter anti-Semitism. The school board chairman said in a statement, the school district is investigating the incident. The high school, 2,500 students near Boca Raton, is thought to have one of the country's largest populations of Jewish students. Deadline Alameda, California, Oakland Raiders receiver Antonio Brown announced this week he reached a settlement in an incident from April of last year in which he allegedly yelled at security and threw items off a South Florida apartment balcony. Quote, Brown on Twitter. I'm sorry that an incident occurred. I apologize for any statements we made in court filings or otherwise to Mr. Sternberg, Ophir Sternberg, and family. I wish him my best with regard to future endeavors and seek to make amends with him and his family. Brown faced a pair of lawsuits, which said a two year old boy's guardian sued Brown for intentional infliction of emotional distress after items flung from the 14th floor nearly hit the child, according to court filings. The child was with his grandfather near the pool area of the complex. Two vases, and an ottoman and other pieces of furniture fell close to them. The child was traumatized, experienced anxiety and trouble sleeping since the incident. Here's another couch! As Philadelphians settled in bars or on their couches at home to watch the U.S. women take on the Netherlands in the World Cup female soccer final last week. Wasn't that a great Hey, there's a World Cup this week of netball. (laughs) If the soccer wasn't exciting enough. But an adrenaline rush of a very different sort played out at Thomas Jefferson University's campus. Triggered by an alert that popped up on the cell phones of students, faculty, and university employees, there's an active shooter on the campus. Follow emergency procedures. Run, hide, act. Twenty minutes later came all clear. Please disregard the message, reactive shooter. There is no immediate danger to campus. The university then issued a statement on social media attributing the false alert to, quote, a resolvable system error. There was no active shooter, and we apologize for the error. We're taking further action to ensure this does not happen again. The university was testing its Jeff Alert system Sunday morning after widespread power outages. So I guess the way they'll avoid this in the future is avoid power outages. And good for them. Starbucks is apologizing to an Arizona police department after six officers were apparently asked to leave a store on the 4th of July because customers said the officers made him feel unsafe. Starbucks released a statement calling incident completely unacceptable mentioned it's actually in the past partnered with the Tempe, Arizona police to host a community outreach event, Coffee with a Cop. Didn't Jerry Seinfeld invent that? Now it sent executives to apologize face to face. Six employees, six officers, sorry, were enjoying their drinks at Starbucks on the 4th of July when a barista asked them to leave because a customer said their presence made him feel unsafe. The uh, officers associated put up a dump Starbucks image on their website. Hopefully, said the uh, police association in Tempe. This is a learning opportunity, and we can go forward. What are they, school board? The commander of the Swiss Air Force's aerial display team has apologized after his unit performed a low-altitude flyover over the wrong place. Residents of Langenburg looked up in vain last week while expecting to see Switzerland's Patrouille Suisse squadron swoop in to mark the centenary of the death of a local aviation pioneer. Instead, the team flew over nearby... The defense ministry said the formation hadn't practiced the maneuver and got distracted by an unauthorized helicopter in the area. The team leader spotted what he thought was a tent for the Langenbrook celebration. It turned out to be for a yodeling festival. Yes, stereotypes come to life. In a speech that stirred emotional reactions and caused members of the General Synod to rise to their feet, Archbishop Fred Hiltz, primate of the Anglican Church of Canada, apologized on behalf of the church for spiritual harm done to indigenous peoples. He laid out a confession of the ways the Anglican Church demonized, dismissed, and actively discouraged traditional indigenous spiritual practices. For such shameful behaviors, he said, I'm very sorry. We were so full of our own self-importance. To quote the Book of Common Prayer, we followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We were ignorant. We were insensitive. We offended you. And I believe we offended God. No comment from God. The Apologies of the Week, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this program was recorded about uh, 12 hours or more before you hear it. So no comment on what happened in New Orleans, because although at this moment in time, a bullet seems to have been dodged in most of the area, uh, I don't know for sure how it all panned out. I will. By the time you hear this, I'll know, and so will you. That concludes this edition of The Show. The program returns next week at the same time over these same stations, over um, the audio device of choice, whenever you want it. And it will be just like all of us dodging a bullet. If you agree to join with me then, will you? Alrighty, thank you very much. Uh-huh. Tip of the show, chapeau to the San Diego, Pittsburgh, Chicago, and a Y desk. Thanks, as always, to Pam Halstead and to Jenny Lawson at WWNO New Orleans for help with today's program. The email address for this thing... Your chance to get Cars I Talk t-shirts and the playlist to the music you hear here. All at harryshearer.com. And I'm on Twitter at the The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans, flagship station of the Change is Easy radio network. So long from the home of the homeless.